we're making a lap wing out of Encanto and meeting some rebel dykes at the house of Gucci. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen, Van. How are you doing today? Both of us are, are a little octave lower in our voices. I think this is to do with the sniffles that's going around. I quite like it, though. <laughs> well, for me as well, it's because I'm on US time, so currently it's four in the morning to here and I, to me here, and I've only just realised that my T-shirt is on Inside Out, so I'm doing oh. really well today. Look, here's an Inside Out Marvel logo, if you want to nice. see how bad, badly I'm doing. Um, well, I applaud you. I applaud you for that. It's, uh, it's a good... It's a good effort to be up at this time for us. <laughs> how, how was your birthday, Miss Perfect, before we crack on? Very nice, thank you. Very nice. Yes, I am. I am of a grand old age now, an old dame, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, no, had a lovely day. Quiet, but very, very nice. Thank you. Shall we talk about um, something that's all equally relatively quiet, uh, which is our first movie, um, Lapwing? Um, now, for- I thought you were going to say equally lovely and then ask, like, what the hell movie you were watching? <laughs> yeah, really no, no. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. No, so this is an this is a movie which stars um, Emmett J. Scanlon, who I've, I've seen on a couple of um, like made-for-TV sort of series or movies. He's and... generally, I think, known for Hollyoaks more than anything. I think Hollyoaks is his big thing, and then he's had some lower-key US genre work, like he was in the Constantine TV show and things like that. He is starting to pop up, but he is primarily i think ex hollyoaks now a donut maker would you believe a donut maker wow his career he going makes really well, vegan <laughs> gluten-free donuts he is officially instagram's donut whisperer you can look this up wow well it also stars sebastian de souza who you might recognize from the great as well as as well as a, a couple of bits in uh, normal people as, as well but um this uh, Lapwing is, uh, is set in 1555, very specific, um, where an isolated group of salt farmers essentially try to arrange an illegal passage to Europe for a gypsy family in hiding, an Indian gypsy family in hiding, in fact. But then there's a love affair between um, a mute girl called Patience and Rumi, the son of the Egyptians. And that basically... Uh, that Sebastian... That Rumi Sebastian... Yes, that yeah, and that kind of threatens both of those particular communities. The boat will be coming in at the beginning of the month. Camp down on the beach. These marshes are ours. Eliza Knight's laying under his shield with a down. You stay away from us, do you hear? His arms they lie down at his feet. I am pleased to meet you. So well they can their master keep. Get that girl, bitch. She's gonna get you already know that, don't you? Come on, bitch. You can see It's a really creepy one, this one at times. And it's not really a traditional horror film. Is it it kind of plays like a sort of daylight set mix of the witch slash the the witch and 
kind of that, that harsh, chilling sobriety of... Do you remember The Nightingale, the Jennifer Kent film The Nightingale, not so long back? No. With uh, Sam no. Claflin. Absolutely worth checking out, but like this, it uses the harsh, barren, wide-open environment as kind of its own foreboding sense of threat. It's at once this grand open space and this really big oppressive force bearing down on them at the same time. Um, I think uh, Hannah Douglas as uh, as Patience and Emmett Scanlon, mm. I think are absolutely terrific in there. It's intriguing to me you mentioned Sebastian D'Souza's character because I think he is the most shortchanged by anyone in this movie. Um, as in, he just his character seems to be all important to begin with and then just doesn't seem to matter Nothing. forgotten about yeah. five seconds and you've got that great performance from Hannah Douglas which is a hell of a performance mm. like we're, mm-hmm. yeah we're talking like homicidal version of Jodie Foster's Nell at times and then Emmett Scanlon who's just going full puritanical psycho I think yeah. it's a really solid work I think it's a, it's a directorial debut for Philip Stevens. I think it's uh, Laura Turner, I think's debut as a screenwriter as well. So it's, you know, feature debut for director and screenwriter. I think the director fares better than the screenwriter, but I think everyone comes out looking pretty decent. Like, even on the yeah. writing front, although there are holes in there, I still think what works, works, and it works really, really well. This is really... So it's not a, a, an, an audience please. This is not really a crowd pleaser, but I think for people who liked The Nightingale and The The Vitch unmissable stuff definitely i definitely get what you mean about like the the tinges into horror um it mm. got me think there was a there was a couple of things that this got me thinking about so i'm with you with the nell stuff i thought that was a fantastic performance the witch as well i kind of get that mm. feel but i get that feel about any sort of movie that's quite bleak and set in the 1500s it's kind of i link it back to the witch quite easily However, there is this whole thing about, like, since Midsummer came out, how easy is it to do horror in the daytime? And, you know, it doesn't go anywhere near as far. It's more psychological and, you know, and, and more abstained, I think, than, than what Midsummer does. But there's this element of being, you, you should be in safety in, in yeah. bright daylight, and yet you don't feel like you're safe throughout it. So I'm with you on all your points, and I agree. I think it's a solid one. It's definitely mm. not one for the masses. You've got to really be in the mood to watch this one. I think so. Also, if you think a horror movie can't be set in daytime, wait till you see Piranha 3 Double D. Oof. Oh, God. I, I got a, <laughs> a, a waterpark-based Piranha horror movie for you, Miss Perfect. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's see what we've got next. So we're going to talk about uh, Encanto next, which is the new Disney movie. Now, believe it or not, I haven't had a chance to look this up uh, since, since I saw this. So I'm, I'm unfamiliar with who the actual voice cast was. And it's fascinating oh. because I was sat there all the way through this going, who who is this? Like who is the who's the lead in this? And I couldn't figure out it was oh it was Stephanie Beatrice. That makes sense. Okay. So um Rosa from Brooklyn Nine Nine is Encanto. Right. So this is the new Disney Pixar movie. This one is set in I think it's a Colombian I think it's a Colombian community. Sort of isolated family community based on magic, as in you had a destitute family who, in their time of great need, while fleeing uh, political persecution, were protected by magic and given... uh, uh, Oh, God, I'm trying to remember the name of the house. 
now. Uh, they're given a literal, a literal living house, like Adam's family style living villa. And each each right. time one of the kids reaches reaches you know the coming of age point, they are bestowed by a miracle of their own and given a special ability with which they can help their community thrive. And that's where, that's where Encanto come where uh, sorry that's where Mirabelle comes in. The Encanto sorry is that the miracle that's powering all this. Um, Mirabelle, voiced by Stephanie Beatrice, is the first member of the family to not be given a miracle. She is basically powerless. She is ordinary. Everyone else in her family has a gift including her two sisters one of whom is basically poison ivy and can grow plants and the other one is like super strong like hulk style as you'll you'll hear in our clip and uh, mirabelle becomes the only hope that uh, her family have when the miracle which is powered by an eternal flame and a little candle starts to die and threatens to take with it all of the good fortune and the magic that keeps the family afloat just tell me what it is. There's nothing to tell. You're obviously worried about something. Lisa, if you know what's hurting the magic and it gets worse because you won't tell me what's wrong. Nothing's wrong! Wow, uh, sorry. That, uh, that snuck out there. So, so far, so Moana, really. It's like Moana mm. meets Coco. In fact, it kind of plays like Moana and Coco smashed together, if you can imagine that. Okay, and is that is that quite a strong mashup between the two, or, or were you? Because I think we've had a few hit and misses of late, and I'm just uh, yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see how how this fares. This fares pretty well. Now, of the of the recent Disney of, of the recent Disney movies, I think it's not one of the strongest. I think it's I think it's 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 more entertaining than Coco, but I don't think it's as good a movie, for instance, and I don't think it has a, has I don't think it's got anything. On Moana, it's certainly not at Moana level. Having said that, it is charming and it is fun and whimsical. It does romp along and it's got a lot of charm. And there's a lot of physical humor out of the house, for instance. Like the house literally being alive, like it can move its floorboards and make you move, for instance. Like the house can interact with you. And that was quite well done. I thought the voice performance mm. from what I didn't realize was Stephanie Beatrice <laughs> was, was really good as well. I mean, there's a great cast in there that includes John Leguizamo, for instance, I, who, I, I, you know, yeah. you, get me, you get me Johnny Legs in a movie and I'm just, I'm there. And when you get a certain uh, Hispanic, when you get a Hispanic cast, there's only a certain amount of time that can go by before you're just obligated to call Johnny Legs. That's yeah. kind of how it goes, and he does he does turn up here nicely and does steal the show in exactly the way you you would expect. There's all the usual. I love John Leguizamo. Yeah, there's all these magical and animal sidekicks. This one is a musical and does have a few songs, but we are talking about like four or five for an entire mm. movie. So this is not like, it was about four or five songs over about a hundred minutes. So it's not okay. a big, it's not, it's not even as musical as Moana, I would say, but mm. good time to be had. 
And I would say, if you're looking for something to take the kids to, I think there's a lot to enjoy here. And I think as well, it's it's sort of genderless in a way, as in it, predominantly female cast, but it does sort of play well, I think, regardless of gender as well. So I would take boys or girls, I would take them all to the pictures this weekend and enjoy Encanto. It is, as the posters would promise, indeed a magical time. Welcome back to Off Screen. So you had one that's for the kids, one very much not for the kids in the last no, book. No. Uh, we, we're going to continue on with probably things that you don't want to take the kids to, um, starting with a documentary called Rebel Dykes. Uh, this is a, a documentary about lesbian culture in the 1980s onwards. And uh, this, is a, this is a really fast... Uh, well, I actually have to say lesbian culture in the UK, in London specifically. Mm. And it is quite a ride through, you know, we, we learn from like movies like Pride about, I suppose, the gay culture in the 80s, you know, the marches, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But the insight into the the world of, of being a lesbian in the 1980s hasn't really been explored in this kind of way before. I think it's quite a fascinating uh, documentary. It's because, it, generally speaking, when we think of gay culture in the 1980s, we do tend to think of gay men. Just as a general, especially in the UK, we tend to think of gay men. And especially when you look at, I mean, even just anecdotally to pick the movie Pride, for example, you remember there are only Mm. two two or three female characters out of that entire group in Pride. So just kind of hammer the point home. But it is nice. It is nice to actually see gay women of the 1980s get some exploration. This, of course, follows the, the, the rebel dykes of the title who were a collective of London-based, they were artists and activists and poets and yeah. perf- you know performance artists and sculptors, and they would all congregate in Brixton in what was then just this sea of derelict houses. I mean, could you imagine? Oh my God, it must be so great getting property in Brixton, um, <laughs> just squatting yeah, in empty houses in in Brixton. And it is you know the, the trials and tribulations of the scene at the time, how they handled things like, for instance, the age the, the AIDS, the height of the mm. AIDS crisis of the 1980s and and basically having to police their own community and having to basically enforce their own health and safety guidelines at this really, really you know, tra- traumatic time for the community. We've got a little snippet. It was a great time and a terrible time to be young and queer. Thatcher had just got in. Politically, there was always this attempt to silence. It was dangerous just to be who you were in those days. We wanted to start this SM club in London. I really enjoyed this. Um, I found it so insightful and fascinating. Like, I live a stone's throw from Brixton, right? So to kind of not only see that kind of slightly hedonistic life that they were living, like a lot of the talking heads that that are speaking about their experiences, they're like, oh, yeah, so I was on acid for like three days. And then I realised I needed to come off it. It was so casual in that time. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to see, like, there was like a women's refuge camp that even Mm. when speaking about it now, they won't divulge the location of it for instance just to make sure that you 
you know, that it's still there and it's still something that, that women who feel persecuted can go through, go to. And also the fact that actually in terms of the persecution that would happen around that time, like you couldn't be yourselves on the st- streets mm. of South London. You know, it, it's really yeah. fascinating and sad and heartbreaking to see because, you know, it, 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 it's a completely different time. It has that feel of the 1980s that you want from this documentary. We heard it from that snippet just then. It's really, you know, the the, the thick London accent, the the sound of like the music that's going on behind. I, I Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'm quite happy to watch this again, actually, to just sort of mm. make sure I t- there's a lot of information in it. And I think what you need to be doing is kind of taking stock of all of it at the time. There's a, a very cool aesthetic to it as well. It yeah. has that, the punky feel of it. It's designed mm. to look and feel like a club night flyer, like mm. one of the flyers from their actual kind of S&M clubs. And it, it works. It translates. It does play. And there's there's some quite interesting and engaging talking heads. Like each of the women has their own, you know, it follows a group of women. Each of them seem to have their own story and they sort of intersect at different times. It was fascinating stuff. I was, I was very intrigued by it. And I think, because uh, we've seen a few decent documentaries over the past year or so about uh, British gay culture in the 1980s mm. and this I think it's quite a worthy addition to them but so as Rebel Dykes they absolutely worth seeing this week I'm, I'm only hurrying us along because I'm so excited about our final new release Vex honest to God yeah oh, I was I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna say to you do not give mm. too much away because I'm really excited to go and watch this I haven't seen this I couldn't but, have I tried. you know Okay, yeah. the father, the son, the house of Gucci is what we want. Exactly. <laughs> I couldn't, the, the stuff in here I did not know happened, and I have to really? check to see if it actually did. Um, not only would I not spoil this for you, I don't think I could, because there's a lot in this. Uh, so it's, of course, House of Gucci, our second Ridley Scott movie of the <laughs> season, after the d- delightful millennial destruction that was uh, The Last Duel, with Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and uh, Adam Driver. Well, now he's got Adam Driver back again. I think he just kept him on retainer. And uh, he's pairing him. You've got... I think he is he is the son of Gucci who marries Lady Gaga brings her into the family and her ambition her uh, Machiavellian evil suddenly starts to bubble to the surface when she she gets a taste of the good life of Gucci and becomes like just like Mama Soprano as a housewife, <laughs> if you can imagine that. This is an all-star cast that also includes Jeremy Irons Al Pacino, and most prominently and most importantly of all, Jared Leto. And I will yeah. come back to Jared Leto, but first, I just I want to just give you a, a little sample of what Lady Gaga, who apparently went full method on this, what <laughs> Lady Gaga is bringing to this lunatic table. You ever steal anything, Paula? What? Forgive me. I'm trying to teach Alessandra the importance of not touching other people's belongings. I don't consider myself a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. What I cannot wrap my head around is people who steal just for ego or the pleasure of it, for personal satisfaction. I want to stress as well that that is what that is how she will treat someone who she thinks is flirting with her husband. You do not want to see how far she will go for other things. Honestly, she is unhinged in this. 
Is this an award-worthy performance from Gargoyle? Because that's what we're all expecting. I, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, the film is, it's ropey. It is ropey to the extent you're like, this can't seriously be an awards contender. It can't. Because it, it's too silly. It's too daft. And, I mean, having said that, if you were going to give an award to anyone in this, it's Jared Leto. Just because I don't know what anybody was thinking hiring him. I don't know what he was thinking taking the role. First of all, he is meant to be the son of Al Pacino. And he's yeah. try he's trying vocally to make that convincing. <laughs> that's point one. And that's before you get... I don't know if you've seen the makeup effects he's under. I have. I saw that from the trailer. Do you know what? I saw that from the trailer and I said to my husband, I said, do you know who that is? And he was like, yeah. Nah. <laughs> it took me a minute. I'd forgotten. Yeah. Was sat watching the film. Mary and I sat and watched because it's on general here in the US. So I was able to. Mm. Just, we went to the, the movies the other night and saw. I saw that in Encanto in public screenings this week. And we went. We saw Encanto. First of all, I will straight. I will say, even just as a you know audience member, member of the public, not a film critic, Mary came away. So that was really good. There was a lot of stuff I did not know about the Gucci family. It's like, yeah, that was strangely good, wasn't it? It is good, but it's trash good. Oh, I That's love it. I was, yeah, it is <laughs> I came out of it and thought to myself, how did Ryan Murphy not make this? Because it right. seems like a Ryan Murphy film that bizarrely Ridley Scott has made. Can't figure that one out. It's a bit bum-numbing at 2 hours 38. But oh, wow. to be fair, it's packing a lot in. And Adam Driver getting to do this whole you know deal with the devil Faustian thing that he's doing here works very well I quite like that uh, Lady Gaga very good um, I will say Lady Gaga in 1980s and 90s Gucci does something to me that I just did not expect that, that, that's something <laughs> I learned this week did, did not did not see that coming it turns out that Gaga playing Psycho in Gucci that's a, tr- a thing for me a trigger for me okay did not see that coming but the MVP here and the absolute reason to see this movie. First of all, Jeremy Irons, by the way, he's quite, he's quite enjoyable himself. Uh, but no, it's it's Jared Leto. He's just, oh my God, what was any... Just, just on it, just see the movie for, for, for Jared Leto and you won't be disappointed because, wow, whether or not you think he's any good is another question, but he seems to be having the time of his life and it's infectious. I'll, I'll go with that. You you have a good time with him. The film, though, trash but enjoyable trash. But oh, my goodness. I can't wait. I literally basis. can't wait. I just cannot wait. Thanks, Van. You, you've made my day. Off to the cinema this weekend I go. Welcome back to Off Screen, and well, we're going to take it to the couch for some freeview fun now. Let's see what's on freeview cinematically for the next seven days. And of course, we've got to start with a bang, and there is no bigger bang than I think this is the last time you and I worked. Is this one of the last times we worked yeah. in the studio live together? Was the night that this won Best Picture on Channel Four Saturday night, 10 p.m. It is the one, the only Best Picture winning. Parasite, Bex. How much do you love Parasite? I absolutely love Parasite. In fact, I saw the trailer for this the other day on on TV because it's on, yeah, Channel 4, 10 10 o'clock on Saturday. And I said to my husband, I was like, you've got got to watch this. I was like, Mm. you... 
Uh, in fact, I will record it because 10 p.m. is a little bit of snooze time for the uh, the old hubby there. So I want him to be fully attentive to this movie because it is brilliant. It's like an onion with so many layers to it. It's incredible performances. And actually, you know, I remember when we worked together for this to cover this for the Oscars and it won. You and I both mm. turned around to each other and went, finally, the right film has won Best Picture. Well, I think the year before had been Green Book, didn't it? So uh, yeah. we, we, it was it was definitely a, 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 a significant swing. I think whether or not that's actually had any effect on the industry is still yet to be seen. But uh, it, this is the, it's, a, it's a story about everything and nothing simultaneously, completely subtitled, um, available in black and white. Certain parlances, I don't think it is in this one in this case. Um, but it's a Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. I, I mm. cannot recommend. I don't even want to say that much about it. It's just so good. Watch this. If you've never seen it and you wonder what any of the hype was, Channel 4, Saturday night, 10pm, Parasite. Get it stuck on. Record it if you need to, because if, if, being subtitled, I know that's a lot for people up that late on a Saturday night. Maybe this is more of a Sunday afternoon for you thing, uh, thing for you then. Um get it recorded then watch it but do watch Parasite it is absolutely terrific um, I cannot really sadly say the same for our pick on Sunday however uh, which we I are, know, Van, we are I think... in because Christmas <laughs> yes I know I know and Van's very clearly said if I'd have known you were just chucking this in for Christmas I would have picked something else bah humbug um, but I feel like we're en route to the festive season. So Sunday at BBC One, 2.20pm is Nativity, the 2009 Martin Freeman uh, movie, which I think a lot of people do like. You know, it's got that typical British sort of slightly love actually, but not as good uh, kind of mm. humour to it. And it's basically the story of a school teacher who tells his, his school that, that some Hollywood bigwigs are going to come and watch their nativity play, which sends everyone into disarray and mm. tries to make them to create the biggest, bestest nativity play of all time. Now, again, I don't think anything can beat the octopus in Love Actually or <laughs> the, the kiss between the Prime Minister and Martine McCutcheon. Um, but other than that, I think it's, you know, it's a solid British movie that has spawned new movies off the back of it. So it must have been doing something right. So an easy Sunday watch if you are looking to, uh, to get into the festive spirit. And I will say as well that it's it's sequels, which do become progressively worse somehow. I mean, the the one that's about uh, flash mobs is a particular low point, but the sequels did give me the greatest Christmas euphemism for having to uh, do a number two that I've ever heard, which is <laughs> Danger in the Manger, the subtitle of the second movie. The, the, the Nativity 2, Danger in the Manger, I think. Is that... So, is that what that refers to? Because I haven't seen Nativity. No, it, it, do, it doesn't refer to that. But my social okay. circle have taken it to mean that ever since. And every Christmas right. when someone has to go and use the facilities, I'm sorry, do, excuse me, I've got danger in the manger. And then, yeah. One of them is called Dude wow. Where's My Donkey, I think, as well. So these, this is... They, they, they get worse as they go on. By the point you've got Martin... No, by the time Martin Freeman does the first one, by the time you've got uh, Martin Clunes, sorry, mm. turning up to do one of the sequels, all bets are off, and this is truly the darkest timeline. However, sticking with dark, but in all the best ways, we talk about great movies, 9pm Monday night. It is the big screen adaptation of Dennis Lehane's Gone Baby Gone, the all-star cast uh, leading a criminal investigation into, is it, I think it's a missing, is it a child mm. murderer or a missing young girl? I can't remember. I can't remember if she's uh, missing a girl's kiss, A girl, a little girl's kidnapping. 
Little Girls Kidnapping and uh, the drama that unfolds as they try to have a return. I've got a clip for you of Morgan Freeman. Who doesn't adore Morgan Freeman? Here he is at his just his peak Morgan Freeman-ness, delivering the monologue about why he cares so much about this case. You have any children, Mr. Nero? No, sir. My only child was murdered. She was 12. Did you hear about it? What you probably didn't hear, and what I hope you never have to deal with, Mr. Nero, is what that feels like, what I have to deal with. Knowing that my little girl likely died crying out for me to come and save her. And I never did. My little girl died afraid and alone in a shallow ditch bank at the side of the road, not 10 minutes from my house. I know what it feels like to lose a child. Oh my goodness, that is, that is so, that's classic Morgan it Freeman. Is, it? it is, that's just like, Morgan Freeman being Morgan Freeman, isn't it? That's amazing. Um, but great cast, Casey Affleck, Michelle Monaghan, um, mm. and also Ed Harris in this as well. So, uh, yeah, a really, really solid watch for your, uh, is it Monday night? Monday night. Um, Monday night, yeah. So that is on, like you say, great movies at 9pm. On Tuesday, I put this in tentatively. Okay, on Tuesday. This is Lucy. Mm. Um, it's on ITV. There weren't great options. There weren't great options for Tuesday, were there, though? No, but I also thought, like, I know that it's been panned massively. I I watched it with, I remember being in the cinema for this, watching it with great excitement for it. And again, it stars Morgan Freeman again, but it just doesn't work. But you might enjoy it because of the futuristic feel of it. I don't know. I just wanted to put, throw it in there I as a bit of a wild card. I think it's pretty decent, Lucy. I think I think okay. as well. I think it's still financially Luc Besson's most successful movie. I think in terms of like movies Luc Besson's made that made actual. This is outgrossed uh, the Fifth Element, for instance, in his really? in his repertoire. Yeah. So I mean, and the and the concept as a corker, which is effectively it's it's the limitless idea of you know human beings yeah. only use ten percent of their brains. What if you unlock the other ninety percent? And in this case, she becomes like an absolute reality bending badass. Um. Mm. Worth worth a watch. I think it's got some great moments, some good scenes, and certainly some unforgettable set pieces from Scarlett Johansson. I think as well, by the way, this is Scarlett Johansson, I think prior to, I need to check this post Black Widow, but it was Scarlett Johansson's most successful uh, lead movie. Movie yeah. that had her as the lead. This was hands down the most successful one. Um, worth a watch, though, as you say, uh, 10 p.m. ITV4 on Tuesday. Um, a classic that we come back to time and time again on Wednesday, film for 9 p.m. It is the fourth movie in the Mission Impossible franchise. I almost said saga, but let's go with franchise. Uh, it's Ghost Protocol, in which Brad, you'll remember this is the one where he hangs off the Burj Khalifa, directed by Brad I actually Bird. think. Yeah, I actually think this is probably one of my favourite ones out mm. of the franchise. I really enjoyed this. And I think, you know, you're always expecting, what is Tom Cruise going to do next? And when he does do that <laughs> Burj Khalifa thing, because I think the next one had him, like, jumping on the wing of a plane. And I actually wasn't that impressed by that. I was more impressed doesn't by the, the Burj Khalifa. doesn't seem as impressive. Yeah, it doesn't seem as impressive no. hanging up the Burj Khalifa, does it, somehow? Yeah, I know. I don't know why it didn't quite fit. But th- this one, yeah, you know, look, that. It's what they basically get shut down when they're implicated mm. in the bombing of the Kremlin, and yes. so kind of they go they go into this kind of ghost protocol to sort of I suppose clear their names and get back on the job essentially. And 
Yeah, it's, I love the I love the Mission Impossible movies. I think they work really well. I think look. Tom Cruise is probably going to keep pushing and pushing this till he's 80. But, um, you know, if he can still keep doing the next one, because he's, st- is he still planning on going up into space to, to film he, he like, in space? He and Doubleman and a cameraman are all booked on a, on a show. Oh, as regards um, uh, Tom Cruise doing this till he's 80, by the way, the reason they are doing Mission Impossible 7 and 8, I think, back-to-back, or at least partially back-to-back, <laughs> is because of Tom Cruise's insurability. Because he's about to turn oh. 60, and when he does, he enters the Jackie Chan trap of, oh, God, it's a nightmare getting insured when you're older. Um, yeah. So that's why they're, they're trying to cram out as many Mission Impossibles as they can while they Before. can. Yeah, wow. age is a bummer, right? <laughs> it is just. Um, but do you know what? I, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I think it's well worth a watch again if you haven't seen it for a few mm-hmm. years. Um, it certainly will kind of brighten up your Wednesday night. It's a good, fun action watch, I think. It's just something to kind of jolt you back into place. That's on film four at nine o'clock on Wednesday. Talk us through Thursday and then Friday, Van. Okay, so film four again on Thursday night, and this is this time at 11.15pm, and it's Vivarium, or Vivarium. Do you remember this from about a year ago? Starred Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots as the young couple who go to view, you know, their first oh, home my- to buy. Oh my yeah. god, yes. It was like a Black Mirror episode, and they're sort of trapped yeah. in this uh, sort of fabricated, gated community type deal. And it's like it's a, a horrendous. Black Mirror. Yeah, and they like a baby is delivered to them, and they are forced to raise the baby against their will. And it goes all sorts of nuts. Um, worth a watch, though, just because there, is some, yeah. there are some imaginative ideas allowed to unfurl in this sort of literal suburban nightmare. At times, I thought this was this had a lot going for it. Imogen Poots is always a laugh, and well, it's nice to see Jesse Eisenberg in a movie that isn't terrible. If I'm being honest, do you know what this for me was a little bit um, like? I like my hair has just stood on end thinking about this because I found it a really frustrating watch in a good way. The psychological kind of back and forth of this, and you know, there's a point where they desperately try to get out of this. this scenario that they're in and they start digging down to see if they could dig out and it's basically like if you've ever watched Beetlejuice Mm. when Beetlejuice starts digging and it's just cardboard below cardboard it's the same thing for them and I'm like no you've got to get out of this it's oh my god it's the creepiest if you love Black Mirror this is going to be a movie you're going to want to watch I think so so on to the end of your week then and you know me I like to go big and you don't get big, you don't get bigger than a literal kaiju. It is, of course, yep. Pacific Rim. Guillermo del Toro's absolutely wonderfully fun smash 'em up, in which human beings are forced to defend the Earth from kaiju by creating equally sized giant robots that they effectively top gun their way through as they smack down monsters one by one. And if you think that doesn't sell it enough, well, here's Idris Elba to take it home. Today. Today. At the edge of our hope. At the end of our time. We have chosen not only to believe in ourselves, but in each other. Today, there's not a man nor woman in here that shall stand alone. Not today. Today, we face the monsters that are at our door, 
and bring the fight to them. Today we are cancelling the apocalypse. So one of the all-time speeches. I was up there with Independence Day and the uh, today. But today is our Independence Day moment, isn't it? Same kind of thing. Um, I don't think you get bigger or bolder than Idris. As by the way, the brilliantly named Marshall Stacker Pentecost just tells you the level <laughs> we're working at there. Marshall Stacker Pentecost. His name is Stacker. When he orders his Starbucks, they have to write Stacker on the cup. Think about that as you're watching Pacific Rim, as you absolutely should, this next Friday at 9pm on Great Movies. Welcome back to Off Screen for one last ride. We are taking you through what is available on DVD, Blu-ray and streaming, or as I like to call it, everything in between. Uh, we are kicking off with a, a horror movie, which around... I suppose it, around October time would have been perfect for it to come out and you, for you to enjoy in the comfort of your own home. But say his name five times in the mirror and you will be very, very upset. Uh, it is Candyman. I caught this actually quite recently and I thought it was really well done. I enjoyed mm. it, but I, I wasn't that scared by it. I was intrigued by it. I thought it was very arty, very, you know, great performances. And it was like a really nice insight into... I suppose, black culture as well uh, in, in that particular part of America and, you know, everything that represents. So it's kind of this, yeah, it's kind of, it made it very contemporary instead of that horror movie that I remember watching as a young kid when I was way too young to watch the original Candyman. <laughs> and yeah, at the same time, this does form a sort of a sequel to that original, I yeah. guess, 1992. Gives it context. Does, it does, adds to it. So it does follow on certain events from that very first one. So you have got the baby, for instance, is now the adult character of this movie, who is a, 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 a an artist in a now gentrified version of Cabrini Green. Mm. And funny story, when I was in Chicago a few weeks ago, I desperately tried to make it over to Cabrini Green so I could get a picture with the sign because I really, because I just really? seen Candyman again <laughs> I really wanted to. Um, and it is, of course, the power of myth. It is about the legend of yeah. the Candyman seeping its way back into the public consciousness, in part through the work of this one artist. And the legend is, if you say his name five times while looking in the mirror, he appears in the reflection and kills you. So, I thought that we could... <laughs> what did you think? Summon him. <laughs> Hell no. No. Candyman. Anthony. Candyman. Anthony, no. Candyman. Stop. Stop it. Candyman. Stop it. Okay. You better not do okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. I think this is really good. This is a Candyman for this this generation, I think, mm. and it will encourage and entice people to go and watch it. So if you haven't caught it yet, definitely do. And you'll cringe and, and grimace at the sight of the the wasp bite that grows on his arm. It just it's a great bit of visual, uh, a great bit of prosthetics on his arm, but it's horrible to look at. Mm. Um, so that's on DVD and Blu-ray. That's our only offering on DVD and Blu-ray. We're going to move straight on to streaming. Um, and we have something for you on Wednesday uh, on Netflix. It's Constantine. Yeah, I'm always amazed by how many people have not seen Constantine because I remember it being a much bigger deal when it came out. I've not it seen was. it. 
Have you not seen? Okay, so yeah. 2005, they finally got Constantine onto the big screen. Constantine's the star of a comic series called Hellblazer. So the movie, notably, is not called Hellblazer. Um, <laughs> Constantine's a very I- iconic character to a certain sub, especially British comic fans. And you can now see him on TV every week as part of the CW verse. He's in Legends of Tomorrow, and I think he started turning up on Arrow and things like that, uh, where he's played by Matt Ryan. He is, he's modelled on Sting. Like the comic character and the comic current iteration on TV are modelled on none other than Sting. He wears a trench what? coat, like a, a, a proper trench coat, a shirt and tie. He's got the blonde hair. He's a chain-smoking, bisexual sorcerer, effectively. He's a sort of... He's the punky, edgelord, street magic answer to Doctor Strange, if you can imagine that. And he's British. So, naturally, they decided to get Keanu Reeves to do this and play it as an American in weirdly the <laughs> same outfit, but all black. Like, he's wearing the exact iconic comic book outfit, but the colours are all very strange. And he comes into this mystery whereby there is um, there is a, a suicide in an asylum from a woman with mental health issues played by Rachel Weisz, and he teams up with her identical, her identical twin, also played, obviously, by Rachel Weisz, to investigate what happened and how it ties into a potential apocalypse. It's a big movie. It's a really huge... It's got like an all-star cast that includes Tilda Swinton, Jaiman Hunsu, Shia LaBeouf, and obviously, you know, Rachel Vice and Keanu Reeves, who at this point were reuniting for the first time since, I think, Chain Reaction in 1996, which shows you the dorky kind of stuff that my brain remembers. At 97, <laughs> I think, for Chain Reaction, actually. And... Um, yeah. Oh, Peter Stormare as well is in there. It's just it's it's all sorts of nuts, but it's big, large than life. If you like Blade, you will very much like this Constantine movie. They do talk often about you know is there room for a sequel because it did make money, and there are director's cuts of it, there are extended versions. It has its fans. Uh, speaking of fans, let's talk about the ultimate in fan service. Let's talk about uh, also coming to streaming this next week. Uh, Constantine's Wednesday. Friday on Netflix is Godzilla King of the Monsters. And I think this was, may still be streaming on Amazon Prime as well, but it's now coming to Netflix. This is the second of the MonsterVerse movies. Sorry, second or third? Third of the MonsterVerse movies. Third, yeah. This is the one third with Millie after. Bobby Brown, right? This is the first one with Millie Bobby Brown. This is the one that comes after Kong Skull Island, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So this is where I remember leaving the screening for this. God, what, mm-hmm. a, what a sentence I haven't said in a while. Um, <laughs> where, where I came out going, enough with the humans. I just want to see Godzilla and Kong fight. Like, this is what I want, right? And this is what I, you know, I just want to see the action in this. I was like, I couldn't care less about the human stories in this. I just wanted to see a full-blown action-packed feature. And when they delivered on that part, I remember going, this is great. And then, like, Millie Bobby Brown would pop on screen. I'd be like, oh, bored now. It's kind of, it literally was a a film of two worlds. No, I I, I kind of agree with you on that. And I will say, I do do, do think Kong... uh, Godzilla versus Kong is the uh, is is better than Godzilla King of the Monsters, and they're very similar movies, in a sense. Mm. Which is you know it's okay. We've got to bring in a legion of ones for these guys to fight. How do we do it? Here's Millie Bobby Brown running around doing some exposition. At least Godzilla v Kong had the fun of Brian Tyree Henry. You know, there's that yeah. there's that going for it. But you know what? This one does have its moments, and it does have at the very least a bit of Bradders. Is it just me or? 
has he been working out? Are you kidding me? Sarazawa's got that lizard juiced. Damn right. Oh boy. Godzilla's radiation levels have gone through the roof. We got about 12 minutes before it goes thermonuclear. What do you mean? I'm saying in about 12 minutes, it's gonna be a bad day to be a Red Sox fan. You know what I love about Godzilla movies? When you hear the siren and it's like, it's Godzilla. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I know I'm in a Godzilla movie. And that's what I really love about it. Look, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I just, mm. you know, like I say, I want more action, less humans. That was all I wanted. Um, but I'm a true, you know, I love Godzilla for what it is. And I, I, I think, you know, sometimes it's bonkers. It's wacky. It's King of the Titans. It's, it's what you mm. want to watch. And you want to watch it on as big a screen as possible, actually. Absolutely. Now, for our final pick of the week, this ties nicely into we, we recently uh, included in our streaming listings, uh, Love Actually, coming to, I think it was Netflix, for uh, for the holiday season. I think this was two or three weeks ago now. <clears throat> and it's, it's kind of a public service on our part to announce when the unmissable Christmas classics start to appear on streaming, so that you know, of course, where you can find them, where you're putting your tree up. If you're anything like me, I like to put the tree up and have Elf on as I'm putting the tree up and drinking my Christmas cocktails and my alcoholic hot chocolates and things like that. Um, but of course, when it comes to Christmas movies, gun to my head, there's only one Christmas movie for me. And it comes to Disney Plus this next Friday, the 3rd of December. It is the one, the only it is Die Hard, ladies and gentlemen. This is coming to streaming <laughs> to its new streaming home on Disney Plus as of December 3rd. Bex, do you watch Die Hard at Christmas? Is this something you do? Of course I do. Of course you I do. To, and you? You when I was to. in LA, yeah, exactly. When I was in LA and I was driving past the tower, I was just yeah. like, oh my God, look where we're at. Um, no, I love it. I think I remember going on the news actually and talking about Christmas movies. I was on Channel 5 News and there was a big debate over whether or not Die Hard was a Christmas movie. And I was like, there's no debate around this. It's set at Christmas. It's a Christmas Christmas. movie. Exactly. I was like, totally Christmas movie. It's a Christmas action movie. And it is one of the best. I remember, you know, I don't watch it every year, but I I did watch it last Christmas. And yeah, I love it. I, un- unmissable Christmas movie in my house, certainly. I will say, by the way, I don't know if you've, even if you've seen this one, there is a new movie just dropped on Hulu in the US. I think we're going to get it in time for Christmas. And it stars Neil Patrick Harris, and it's called 8-Bit Christmas. Yes, I've seen the trailer for this. I am so yeah. excited because it's all about kids. When you talk about when they were kids in the 80s and how much they were desperate for a Nintendo mm. and for the lengths that these kids would go to. Oh, my goodness, I am I so excited would, I to thought you would that. relate yeah. to that so somehow back so I thought that would be somehow up your alley so next week we've got uh, I mean sticking with the video game theme next week we are going to talk about the new Resident Evil movie it's a reboot this time we're getting a do-over on Resident Evil and it's from Johannes Roberts who uh, gave us the other side of the door and uh, with the 47 meters down sequel I think as well and it stars Kaya Scodelario and Robbie Amell so okay. very different, very different animal this time Ooh. around. So that is Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which is out next week. Believe it or not, that's on general here in the US. So I'm actually going to get to go on uh, on Black Friday and just enjoy that, the movies on my own. We have also got Boxing Day next week, which is the new uh, British kind of ensemble rom-com from Warner Brothers. Uh, we've okay. got Blue Bayou next week as well. Boiling Point uh, comes out next week. And Silent Night and Come On, Come On are out next week alongside Final Account. So I don't know what we'll be covering 
for certain next week, although I can guarantee you Resident Evil will be among them because there is not a chance in hell I am missing a reboot of the Resident Evil series. I mean, a video, a video game franchise that went on for seven movies without ever actually bothering to adapt the video game it was based on? Count me in for the reboot of that. I mean... <laughs> Amazing. Brilliant. Well, listen, guys, I hope that's that's whetted your appetite for uh, for next week. But we will, of course, be back with more movies on the big screen, the small screen and everything in between. But until then, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and we shall return. Listener.